0: Coming up next on Magical Medical Tour with my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman, and special guest, Shulamat Lando, a body-mind psychotherapist, bereavement counselor, trauma specialist, medical coach, and author. Join us as we learn her amazing experience from multiple sclerosis and how she now supports others in their healing. This and more coming up next on Magical Medical Tour. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Wollman. Hello, Doc.
1: Greetings, Christina, and greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I am Dr. Glenn Wollman. I will be your medical guide today, along with Christina, as we travel through the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. Today, we have a special guest, Shulamit Lando, a body mind psychotherapist, a bereavement counselor, trauma specialist, medical coach, and new author. Mm-hmm. But before we meet with uh, Shuli, Christina, how do people get in touch with us?
0: Great, thank you. Um, At any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Now, you can do this at any time. Even if the show is a year old, it doesn't matter. You can do this at any time, and we'll be sure to get your comment or question to our special guest or to Dr. Woolman and send you a reply. Now, if you're listening to this as a podcast, just pick up the phone and feel free to call us at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you so much.
1: Ah, uh, Very good. So, introducing our guest today. She's a very special guest, and, and as most of you know, when we uh, are on Magical Medical Tour, we usually interview healers, but every once in a while, we have a magical show where we introduce And interview someone who has had some kind of a magical healing. And that's what we have today. Shulamat Londo was diagnosed with a devastating disease and has overcome it and done great things. And that's what we're going to find out today. We're going to be on her journey. So, welcome, Shuli.
2: Welcome. Thank you for having me here and welcome everybody. Well, thank you for honoring our community. I'm going to say welcome in Spanish now because I am from Mexico. Bienvenidos al, al, ay, ¿cómo se dice? Al Tour Médico Mágico, Tour Médico Mágico, y ahora en hebreo porque estoy en Jerusalén. Brujima va la siura refugia Kazum. Ok, ya. Yeah. That's it. <laughs>
0: Beautiful. You know, that
2: got
1: For me- an introduction. Really happy, I love that but you're talking to us you're in Israel now, correct
2: I am in yes I'm in Jerusalem now
1: yes you're in Jerusalem so how about uh, giving a greeting in Hebrew
2: but didn't I say that I said that I said oh,
1: you did. I thought it was
2: no that was Spanish Dr Glenn. in Spanish bienvenidos al tour mágico médico in Hebrew, Bruhima ba'im la siyura refugi kasum Okay. I like
0: that.
2: <laughs> I gave you the welcome.
1: That's a great one. And we hope all of our friends that speak Spanish and speak Hebrew will enjoy Understood. this uh, today. <laughs> so, Shuli, uh, yes. as the medical guide, I like to always tell our, our guests uh, the path we're going to take. And we're going to follow you on your journey from childhood to being diagnosed uh, with a very special disease and how you worked your way through it and where you are today. We're going to talk about your book and some of the work that you do. Is that all right with you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Excellent. So I want to take you. You were born. You said you were born in Mexico. Mexico Mexico City. Mexico City. Mexico. Mexico. How old were you when you started having your first symptoms?
2: I was 27.
1: You were 27. So you were already in, into some kind of a career or working yes. on a career. What were you doing at that time? I,
2: w- I was an actress. I was an actress. Because I was an actress, I was a singer and a songwriter and an actress, and I felt very special. That's not true, but I was <laughs> in the—you know—I was in the on the stages. Let's call it that way.
1: Oh, that's. I had nothing
2: to do with anything that I do now.
1: Okay, so life was going pretty well for you. Uh, you had family, married. Living with your family, what what was going I, on just in general?
2: By, I, had married for about ten minutes, you know, like a couple <laughs> of years or something. I don't I don't count that very much. <laughs> I hope he doesn't hear me and gets offended, but, you know, like for about ten minutes, I was married when I was very young, and then I was just being an actress and living on my own.
1: By was then. that stage? Was that stage or screen, or both? As I, an I actress. Did both.
2: I did both. Uh, I was doing stage by the stage in which I got the symptoms. I was on the theater.
1: Okay, but so I did both. T- yeah. So tell us what what were the first? And you were relatively healthy all your life, no real problems.
2: Yeah, actually, very healthy.
1: Having a great life, and then suddenly, what? <laughs> do you remember your very first symptom?
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The very, very first symptom. I was in New York with my best friend. Having the time of my life, you know, and um, and the first symptom was I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And when I moved like I was going to get up, I felt like a um, like an electrical shock going down from my neck all the way down to my feet and up. You know, like zoom like that, like a like a cramp, like a really very strong weird thing that I've never felt before. I didn't think anything about it, got up, went to the bathroom, came back to sleep, and that was it. And the next day after I was I had a shower and when I was drying myself, I started feeling something weird in my skin, like then it became completely numb. So now I know that it was like I was feeling, it was just feeling different. I wasn't feeling my skin the way I know to feel my skin. So that mm-hmm. was like the very beginning of it, very, very beginning of it. Then it became numb and everything else.
1: And did you do anything about it then? You're in New York or did you just put it off because it went away for a while?
2: First of all, I didn't even think about anything. That, the next day, I was having a very strange headache. Like I was having a, something bite me in the back of my neck, in the back of my skull. Like it would bite me, it would pull my head this way, and it would leave me alone. And then again, you know, like that. Very strange. It was a headache, but it was like just like a, a momentary headache, and it went away. And I had that through the whole day. This was the okay. second day after the, the, um, the electrical thing. And then from then on, slowly, slowly, I started getting... Um, everything I felt felt different from my from my chin down.
1: In like, terms of sensory touching, things yes, like sensory,
2: that? Yes, sensory. Sensory needles, pins and needles. My hands were like this at the end, at the end of that week, like this. My feet also completely scrunched. And
1: um, how did... How did you deal with it at that time? Did you go see a doctor, or did you just put it off or take an aspirin or what?
2: At that point, I was in New York, remember? So I came back to Mexico, and uh, I was very weak by then. And my mother was very connected to the medical world then. And she said when she saw me that I couldn't open my pants because my hands were like this. She said immediately to the neurologist. So she took me to the first neurologist.
1: Okay. And that and was a good choice on your mother's part. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: But I wasn't I wasn't uh, diagnosed anyway. It was like, okay, this looks like a brain tumor. Maybe we're going to, you know, let's go see what's in there and maybe I'll take out the tumor and I'll save you from paralysis.
0: But oh,
1: he didn't find fun. any tumor. Yeah. So they did a scan on you? They
2: did a scan. There wasn't MRIs then. Right. They didn't. They didn't find anything.
1: Okay, so this is they, they told you at that time, you don't have anything, don't worry about it, you're fine? No,
2: no, they didn't tell me that. They told me, let us make more tests and more tests and more tests, and I did not want to go through any more tests because all starting to talk about it, it closes my, my throat, I want to cry. I was so freaked out. I didn't want any more tests. They didn't know anything, so... Bye-bye. And I okay. just went home. And I went and through a couple of months of, of um, an MS attack. But and then they I didn't knew know. five years later. No, they didn't know what it was.
1: So it took, you're, you just said five years later they found it?
2: Five years later, I had the next, it went away for five years. I had nothing for five years. Okay. For four years and a half. Then okay, I had so another all the one. Sick- all the symptoms went away Okay. after a, a month or two. Then um, about four, four years and a half later, I had a very strange one, a short one that I didn't tell anybody. It was half of my body was uh, tingly, like again I lost um, sensation, and half of my body for about two weeks. And then two weeks after that, the, this one woke up and the other side went numb. But I could still, because it was only half a body, I could still drive, and I could still have a normal life. So I I, I think that I told my friend, and that's all. I never told my mother, and I never told anybody. And after that one, that's when I got the really, really strong one, And again, and that's when I was diagnosed. By then, there was MRI. No, there wasn't MRI anyway. But the doctor was a specialist in MS, and he said, with just what I told him from the the two episodes before, he right away said, this is MS.
1: And when you're saying MS, you mean? Multiple sclerosis. Right. Uh, Christina, you've heard of that, right? Mm.
0: Oh, yes. And I've had uh, many individuals in my lifetime that have come down with MS. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, from uh, dancers, actors, uh uh, our mailman came down with MS many, many years ago when I was young, I could remember going, what's that, you know? So yes.
1: So let's, let's talk about MS for a moment. And then I want to get back to how you felt with that diagnosis. Uh, actually, why don't you tell us that for a second? When you got diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, did you have any idea what it was or it was just a name or you, you knew? Uh...
2: Did I know? I don't think that I knew. I don't think that I knew. Um, He right away said, "Um, this is incurable. You're going to get worse and worse. This is debilitating. He just gave me the whole, you know, list of horrible things that were going to happen to me. And, And then I had the weirdest response, even though I understand it because I can think about it. But it was very strange because before I even said anything, I turned to my mother who was there freaking out. And I said to my mother, I forbid you to tell anybody, not a girlfriend. You can tell your shrink. You can tell your best friend. And that's it. I don't want you to talk about this to anybody. (laughs) Like, I felt very threatened about her talking to everybody on the phone. I could imagine her talking on the phone and saying, oh, you know, my daughter this, my daughter that. I, I couldn't imagine everybody talking about me, about these things. I just couldn't.
1: And did you even know what it was at that time? I mean, aside from knowing what the symptoms were, what were your thoughts about that?
2: Um, hmm. I was scared. I was very rebellious. I was, um, I was very rebellious, meaning I don't have to believe this guy. I would think, you know, ah, what does he know? There's so much out there. What does he know? He just knows that he can't help me. That's all he knows.
1: Maybe. Go ahead.
2: No, no. What were you going to ask?
1: I was going to ask for you to describe your impression now. At this time, you're in your early 30s, right? Yeah, 32. Right. So... You immediately probably went out and started looking at multiple sclerosis, trying to learn a little bit about it. Did you do that? Of course. Of course. Okay, I so, went
2: and educated myself, yeah.
1: So, tell us how you educated yourself and what—describe multiple sclerosis for us.
2: Well, there's four different um, four different styles. The one I have is the one that is called— uh, Mm, relapsing, remitting—it comes and goes. It comes and goes, and it's the first, st- what they said, or what, the, what whatever I wrote, I read said was, people start with that, and then they become worse, and then they become, they go to a different stage of it, and that never happened to me, thank God. Which would be, I don't remember the names now, but. Um, is the one in which you have an attack and then you get out, the body gets out of the attack, but it leaves a lesion. So you always, right. you know, limp or you always, you know, whatever, you always have a, a, some kind of symptom that stays from the last attack until they just become more and more debilitated. And that is what never happened to me, thank God. But it could have. I mean, yeah. I knew in my head that I, it could have very easily go there. That was like the next step and every doctor that I saw described that as the next step.
1: But so that basically, was basically, just to let everyone know, multiple sclerosis uh, comes from the word multiple, meaning many, and "sclerosis," and that has to do with scarring. And so there were multiple scars, and what happens is in the central nervous system, you have gray matter and white matter where the, the gray matter are the actual nerve cells and the brain cells. And the white matter are the neurons and the axons where actually the axons where the uh, transmission of messages, be it sensory or motor, travel from one nerve cell to another nerve cell through these uh wires so to speak and these wires have an insulation around them called myelin it's a sheath it's a fatty tissue sheath and just like with an electrical wire that has its own insulation if uh if part of that insulation gets destroyed for some reason and the wire is exposed you may start getting static and if it gets the wire gets damaged it uh stops working so the same thing in the nervous system Uh, If the nerves get damaged because the sheath covering and protecting them gets damaged, then whatever area of the body and whatever function of that nerve, you can lose either a sensation, you can lose vision, you can lose uh, the ability to swallow, walking, uh, sensations like touch and feel, uh, and anywhere in the nervous system where these... uh, myelin sheaths can get destroyed, the The process happens and you get a symptom in that area. And it goes through, there are, as Julie said, there are different types. There's progressive, there's relapsing, there's intermittent. And a lot of times when, a, when something happens and the myelin sheath uh, gets damaged, be it through an infection or an environmental process, we don't know totally, the cause yet. We have lots of ideas and much of the research is going on about this. But when a portion of a myelin sheath gets damaged, the body tries to repair it and then it gets damaged again and the body tries to repair it. And eventually there's a scar or a sclerosis. So that's why they call it multiple sclerosis. That's kind of a brief summary of it. So you found out at that time there was no cure. That can't be a fun thing for a 32-year-old actress.
2: No, no. Forget about actress. At that. By that time, I didn't even want to be an actress anymore, you know? By that time, I was trying to discover something else completely. But it wasn't fun because half of the time, you know, I couldn't walk right. I couldn't talk right. I was freaky as hell. That was one of, one of the things that kept on uh, repeating in many, many attacks is that, I, that it would affect my, my speech, so I couldn't speak well. And I'm very talkative, you know. I'm very <laughs> expressive with my words. And, you know, it was horrible not to be able to talk or to sound the way I sounded. And when, when, when this part of the body would be affected, then swallowing becomes very difficult. You know, I choked. Almost every time I swallowed, I had to choke. And that stayed with me. Um, I mean, I don't choke all the time, but I choke a lot. It's like... Like having lost some kind of um, ability, or I don't even like the intelligence of, of swallowing mm-hmm. goes away.
1: How many mental parts to it? Did you start getting I, depressed or anxious or? Depressed,
2: depressed. Every time I had a, an attack, Strangely enough, while I was having the symptoms, I was fine. Like I I had to deal with everything, so I was fine and even if I wasn't very looking very fine or, or being able to do things, mentally I was above everything. I knew what I needed to eat and what I needed to change and da da. da. But the minute the, the attack was over, I would fall on my face depressed for months.
1: It can't be easy to, to go through this. Did you have any support?
2: Well, I had I had my family and I had my friends. That's my support.
1: So are, are you getting uh, is this bringing back memories as we talk about this now?
2: Of course. How can I not yeah. remember? <laughs> yeah. But I'm fine. I'm fine.
1: <laughs> Did you start looking? You, you were told there were no cures, but I, right. I would assume that a person like yourself couldn't couldn't uh, just accept that. Did you start looking for cures?
2: Not for cures. It, it sounds, I wasn't looking for a cure as such necessarily, but um, life is very interesting. I've, I've, when I got this, um, when I got the diagnosis, not from the very beginning, when I, when I had my first attack, I was already a spiritual seeker and I was looking for spirituality everywhere. And because I started getting into it so much, I also started getting a lot of, um, let's call it science, or my intuition was very developed, and I started getting just guidance, inner guidance of what to do next. So it's not like, let me find a cure, and I'm going to now look for a cure. I just kept on getting guidance, you know, go look to, go look at this, or, or eat this thing, or trying things. I kept on just trying this way, and that way, and that way, and I did a lot. Remember, I was in Mexico, and Mexico was not is, but then was much more, I think. Um, so many people were trying different things and offering different things. So just to feel better, let's say that I wasn't in the middle of an attack. Well, just to see what the next thing is, let me try this other experiment and these little shots and these little, little waters that I used to drink. Or, you know, I just did so many things. Things. <laughs>
1: you know, big things. Uh, tell us about some of the actual things that you did in hopes of finding uh, some relief.
2: Okay. So, um, I was by then, I had moved out of Mexico City and I was living in a town called Cuernavaca, which is south of Mexico City, the place where all the Americans go for retirement. Beautiful place. And uh, I was living there because part of my process was leaving the city and changing my life so the owner of the house one day she sees me in in my terrace i was i wasn't in a good way and she said well i have a friend that lives right here and he's an incredible doctor and he is also the spiritual guy and you have to go there so i went to him and um I'm thinking what to tell and what not to tell. Um first first he did acupuncture on me, but he did acupuncture vaginally, which was very strange.
1: Yes, that's very strange. Uh vaginal I I've never heard about that.
0: Never Christina? heard about that. i mm-hmm. I've heard of it. You have? Yes. And and there's uh, certain healing arts too that um um I've been taught that has to do vaginally or Yeah, with that uh, chakra of the body. I had never heard of this
2: before or since. Mm. And I can't tell you that it was painful or weird. I just know that the minute he finished, I broke down in tears. I was sobbing, and I am not the kind of sobbing girl. I'm not into sobbing, and I wasn't feeling that bad. It was just so, I don't know, I felt so vulnerable. I don't know what it was. So that was the first thing he did. But from then on, he he plugged me through, like IVs. I had all the colors of, of liquids coming into my my body. There was a vitamins, and they were bright yellow, and bright orange, and bright green, and all kinds of every every. I remember vitamin C. That was a very pretty color, and a, a bunch of different vitamins, and then minerals, and then chelation. And then there was something else that he put through my veins. So this was like almost every day to go to this place in the woods to get him to fill me up, fill my body up with the strangest things. That I wouldn't even ask anymore, you know. Until what was my the
1: strangest day. thing that he gave you?
2: For me, every, I, that acupuncture in my vagina, that was the worst. Mm-hmm. That was the worst. But from the things that, he, I mean, oxygen, oxygen, he put me once. Oxygen, chelation, and and vitamins and minerals. That's what it was. And it, but every day was a different thing.
1: they ever try anything like hookworm or uh, pig blood or anything like that? No.
2: I had pig brain in a, or a different guy, a different person. I, years after that, I had a big hypothesis and pineal gland implant under my skin of my arm. I had that four times.
1: It's, Baby amazing. it's amazing. Baby they- pigs.
2: They grow them for medicine. Huh, interesting. Baby pigs. They decapitate them, right? Not in front of you, but almost. I mean, they bring you the head. They bring the doctor the head. They take out the pineal gland and the hypophysis gland. They put it under your skin on the side, on the on the arm, and supposedly the way he they explained it to me, your own hypophysis and pineal gland take a rest, and this which is very, I guess the the pig is the pig's molecule is very similar to the human,
1: and in many ways. So,
2: so according to them, this new. Uh, I'm thinking Hebrew, uh, glands, with the new information, start sending information to the my brain, and regenerating all the glandular system. Hmm. Wow.
1: And did if
2: you get a result from that? Not, uh, not great. Not mm-hmm. great. But mm-hmm. I tried it. Okay. And it, go, it that went with horribly painful injections. Horribly painful.
1: Every day. Did you ever get suicidal?
2: No. I never was that sick, Lynn. I was never that sick that I would get suicidal. But I hear from other people with MS that if I was in their shoes,
1: yeah, I mean,
2: I can get it.
1: Right. I was mm-hmm.
2: never, thank God, that bad.
1: Did you ever come to the United States and have them look at you after the initial process and talk about things that might be new? No, not at all. Okay.
2: It it wasn't in my world, I guess.
1: Okay. When did you move to Israel?
2: I moved to Israel exactly 20 years ago and here I I I already was fine by the way, by by 40 Forty forty one. I was already feeling very different. I was hardly ever having an attack, and uh, I came to Israel newly newly wed with my husband, and uh, and because I was starting this completely new um, medical, um, I mean, medicine in, in Israel is very different from the medicine in Mexico. Here, I have. Is socialized medicine, so I wanted to have a folder. uh, How do you say that? You know, a a history somewhere. Right. So I went to the specialist of MS, and he he ordered an, an MRI, which I resisted because I see I believe that whatever you believe is very very important, as we know placebo effect and all of that. So I knew that I didn't want to go and see a picture that would tell me, well, you know what? You really have a lot of horrible things happening in the brain because I was feeling fine, right? Uh But, you know, my husband and and this doctor said, you know, you have to have a baseline so that we know how you're doing here. So I did do the MRI and I was very surprised that he said that I have very, very little demyelonization activity in the brain. That I actually have, he, he said, a very benign, um, a very benign case of MS, and that maybe I will never ever have another attack.
1: That's great which was to hear.
2: Awesome! It was marvelous. I did have another attack after that, a couple of years after that. I did have another attack, but that was the last one. That was the and last. And how one. long
1: ago was that?
2: I don't know. I think like 15 years ago. I don't remember exactly. I have a thing with time that it doesn't stick with me. But it was like, yeah, like maybe 15, 16 years ago.
1: Have you had any Western medical treatments since you moved to Israel? Any type of treatment at all?
2: For this? For this? No. For other things. For other things there are neurological, yes. But not for this. I haven't needed any MS thing. The only attack I had, I had on on a trip that I took to Mexico. So, I was there, I did whatever I did there, you know, and uh, no no doctors, no doctors, even though I respect medicine, I mean, I do respect medicine, of course, and I still, till today, I do take medication for other things, but not for okay. the MS, thank God, I don't need it.
1: Do we want to talk about these other things at all? Do you want me to? Uh,
2: I, don't well- think, I don't think that they're related to the MS okay. at all.
1: All right. Let's just move forward. So you had one career. Were you thinking now, after you've gone through all of this and you've moved to another country and you're feeling better, were you starting to think about either acting again or some other kind of a career?
2: No. What happened? No. Acting never again. But no, that really is not for me anymore. No. When I started being sick, at the same time, I started assisting to a group that became a support group for me that it was a group for people that wanted to study body mind therapies so at the same time that i was dealing with my first ms attack i was also studying to be a body mind therapist so it was together ah Actually, it was one of my teachers, the one that sent me for the big thing. See, all of these people were involved somehow in how I was treating myself. I was in a very avant-garde group of therapists, and they were Back all in into very, Yeah, They were uh-huh. all into very different um, approaches to, to healing, all of them. And uh, so that's why I tried this and I tried that, you know, because everybody was into something and and they would come and say, wow, I just found this other thing. Let's try it. You know, all the colonics and all of that way before it wasn't fashion. At the very, very beginning, I had weird colonics, you know. Mm. (laughs) I mean, you know, or or this retreats where you would fast for a month or two. You know, health food like really health foods, uh, raw food and, and the colonics and the cold and hot and steam and all of that kind of things that they are now pretty in fashion, you know. But this is way before anything was in fashion. This no, was interesting. Oh, go ahead. No, I just was going to say that everybody looked at me funny because I was doing weird things. Now they're in fashion, but then they were really weird.
1: Yeah, I was thinking when you, you know, a lot of people hear the word colonics and think that's weird in itself. But when you add the concept weird colonics, what what would be an example of a weird colonic?
0: That's what I was going to ask.
2: Oh, um, <laughs> I am going to tell you. Well, in the colonic world, <laughs> in the colonics world, one very, very classic is coffee enema. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it has to be organic in that. Now, I got into that because it helped my migraines. I suffered from migraines many years. Not anymore, thank God. Um, there was one really awful one <laughs> for worms or parasites. For parasites, and this was warm milk with garlic. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm. The minute that thing goes into your body, you start getting like I was. I was. How do I explain this? I was like getting hot flashes. With wanting to faint. Wow. Just Mm. a little bit of that thing into the body. I'm telling you, I tried everything and anything that would move me this way or that way. Did anything help? I don't know. I think that what helped was the decision of... This is not going to kill me. This is not going to determine my life. I'm going to try. If my body is going to be my laboratory. They don't know. I will find out what's for me. And I won't tell anybody do this or do that because you have to know your intuition. And your intuition is the one that has to tell you. And your inner guidance is the one that is going to bring, you know, the, the universe's answer to whatever you need, which might not be for anybody else.
1: When did you know you were intuitive?
2: Mm, I think that it's something that has been developing through the years. You know, there's some people who who have this incredible psychic power. I don't have that kind of thing. I just know that I knew what was right for me uh, through that whole process. I really think that illness was what was my teacher. All mm-hmm. oh, the dreams, dreams. My whole, li- my whole dream life changed, and now I started getting all this information in my dreams, and past lives in my dreams, and do this and don't do that, and do it, do, do this because of this and that. You know, awesome stuff. I'm telling you. One of, in my book, I tell about one of the first first dreams in which. I saw this ancient woman playing guitar, flamenco guitar. And I knew that she was ancient, and I was terrified of her. And I know in the dream, this is my teacher. I know she is my illness, and this is my teacher. And I'm telling you, this illness has been my teacher.
0: This
1: Completely. is why we interview mm-hmm. people like you that have these magical medical uh, transitions that yes. that understand these things. I mean, when we've had... Uh, people that we've interviewed that have said ovarian cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me these these kind of statements are just fascinating for us to hear the way people in the human species can come through things like this uh so right. uh christina any thoughts
0: oh, oh so many <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. i love the journey that you've taken uh Shirley. i think it's it's uh, magnificent and uh uh Though, though you say that you don't know if any of those things had helped you, I feel when just listening to you, you know, you were doing colonics, you were doing cleanses, you were doing raw food retreats. You were, I mean, that's all about cleansing this magnificent instrument that we're born with. Um, that I, I find most people and and Glenn, I, I think we both share the same thoughts. Is you know, we we take so much in life for granted you know, what we eat, what we put in our mouth, what we do with our bodies, like people who do, don't do exercise or at least get a certain physical level going. Um, I mean, everything that you've done, it, it's, uh, to me, was on the path of not just healing one thing. It was healing yourself as a whole. And that's right. magnificent. I think that's really magnificent. And I believe that it's li- its all these little pieces that make the whole and right. create the balance. I mean, look at you now. You're vibrant. You you've got, you know, amazing energy and this is the end of your day too. <laughs> After yeah. a long day, you're filled with energy and love and you can we can feel this. your strength. It's magnificent and and we you're you're such an inspiration for others. And and wow, thank we thank you. you for that, really.
2: Thank you. Thank, thank you for
0: realizing that. Yeah. Um, so it's you, incredible
2: feedback. No, yeah,
1: yeah, and I, and I would agree with all of that. And I always think uh, a lot of times when I have something wrong with me, I do a lot of different work, as Christina knows, both Western and uh, integrative or combinatorial, as I call it. And people always say, well, what helped you? And I always say all of it.
2: Mm -hmm. Everything, sure.
1: Everything helps. So, Shuli, when when I introduced you and I mentioned you're a body-mind psychotherapist, a bereavement counselor, trauma specialist, you're a medical coach. When did all of this happen?
2: Well, I became a body-mind psychotherapist in Mexico after that group that I'm telling you about. I mean, it was a Mm -hmm. few years of working on that psychotherapy, body-mind oriented, okay, which is Mm -hmm. body-mind. And, and then, uh, also there, I studied a little bit of hypnosis and NLP. So, it became part of my, my um, toolbox. Then, when I came here, I was it was, now is the age of coaching. So, I was trained as a life coach first. Then, I was trained as a medical coach, which is different from a health coach. It's a medical coach which is a model of coaching that is Israeli. And uh, and then I put it all together because I also believe that, like like with food and everything, it's about integrating. So I integrated everything together into what I do, and that's why I called myself Thera coach because it's Thera coaching. is also the kind of therapy that I'm doing now has also been... Um, evolving, I don't do body work anymore because that takes a lot of energy from me and I don't have energy to lend. So even though I'm vibrant and I love what you said, Christina, the truth is that I don't have as much energy as I used to. So I don't do any body work, but I do um, energetic, psychoenergetic work. So I do tapping and I do EMDR and I do NLP and I do these things that work with the energy that we are. Mm -hmm. But I don't I don't touch and massage and all of that anymore, which I did do for years.
1: Okay, so you mentioned a few moments ago a book and you have written your first book. First of all, it's called Hope Beyond Illness, correct? A Guide to Living Well with a Chronic Condition.
2: Exactly. And it's my second book.
1: Oh, it's your second book. What what made you decide to what was your first book?
2: My first book was a, a novel, actually, an autobiographical novel of how I met my husband through the Internet when the Internet was in diapers, and I came to live in this weird country, in this weird culture, and that's what it was. But seriously, <laughs> this of it? is the first one. It's in Spanish. It's called um, loveatdesert.com.
1: Oh, that's a riot. Because so,
2: it was through emails, yeah.
1: Oh, that's and very interesting. One.
2: And this one is... So when what did was you get, your-
1: uh, I wanted to know when you uh, decided to write your book, Hope Beyond Illness, what inspired you to that? I mean, clearly we know some of the things.
2: <laughs> um, after, after being for a long time without any symptoms, it was also, you know, the voice of spirit through somebody else. Somebody said to me, you know, you should write an, you should write a book that is called How I Healed My MS And I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I couldn't get it out of my head for a while. And then I thought, you know, if anything, life has been so generous to me, giving me my life back. And giving me a healthy life back. I guess that the least that I can do is put this on writing and see what happens, you know, to help others. So what I did was, um, it's, you know, vignettes of, of pieces of my life and my treatments or whatever. But that was just to get somebody going into the reading, I guess. And then it's about tips to help yourself heal or tips to help yourself deal till you heal. That would be rather to deal well till you heal in the right sense of the word, because you know, people, you can be you can be in your deathbed and heal your relationships and your emotions. And yeah, healing has to do with much more than curing the body, right?
1: Yes, I like the way you say that. There's a lot of times that that's very important in the work that I do as a medical guide, uh, talking to people, especially with incurable things. You can still heal in many ways, Absolutely. and that's just as important. So what's what's the message in your book? I mean, obviously the title "Hope Beyond Illness," but if you had to describe it, uh, say on an interview, what would be the <laughs> the message?
2: Um, to not look lose hope. That the uh, Christina you were talking about all this like uh, concrete things like, you know, the exercise and the food and all of that is so important. But we're not only that, we're not only the body. You do with your mind a lot of what's happening to you. You provoke it with your thoughts. You can change that, you know. Your mind reacts to two things, to the pictures that you have in your head and to the words that you say and the self-talk that you do and the meaning you give to things. So my book is telling you, just do some tweaks, do whatever you need to do, and you will be able to heal the body if it was in your cards, because we also all die. So if you're not to die tomorrow in your fate or karma, or whatever you want to call it, you know, you can live better. Even if you have this diagnosis, even if doctors don't know what the hell you have, you can do something that is beyond give me a pill and take this away from me.
1: So it's hope.
2: It's the yeah. I mean, as long as you have hope, you keep on looking for something. You won't give up. And I'm, I'm not talking about surrender because surrender is important. But surrender is not giving up. Surrender is accepting what is, and then let's change it. Then let's, you know, create something different because we're creators. We are creators, and we do create our reality. With our attitude, with our words, with what, with our intention. So I'm telling people, just keep on looking. Today I was in this whole health forum, and somebody said, "There, you just have to make the decision that you're not gonna uh, cancer, fourth stage cancer." Some person was talking about, you know, it just was a matter of just making the decision. It sounds too simple simplistic but it's true you make the decision and all if if you're open to it if you're open to to have a magical mystery life things can happen and will, they will happen because the universe talks to you it does talk to you it takes you takes you by the hand shows you the the way
1: do you find a uh- People uh, for, with MS get in touch with you or other diseases, they get in touch with you. And uh, do you talk to other groups, support groups about things like multiple sclerosis?
2: Uh, I like your question. I have For many years, I led groups in Mexico, especially of, of people with AIDS and with cancer even here. MS, for some reason... This is a very personal experience. I'm not saying that this is the way it should be or is would be everywhere. There's something about the the groups of MS that I have tried to approach here that I felt that they don't like to have me. They I looked I look too healthy. Hmm. When I when I talk about healing with people that have MS they immediately say no 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 there's no such a thing you can manage your symptoms that's the best you can do manage your symptoms and i say well if i manage my symptoms so well that they're not there anymore that to me is healing <laughs> what well, don't talk about healing it's about managing your symptoms so no i don't work with people with ms but i have a group i am now doing a program called heal till you deal till you heal and i have people with cancer and, uh, and also with more emotional kind of problems. And I've had different illnesses, and I do what I can to help. It's really so personal. You know, it really has to do with how, how um, open the person is to connect. I think that if, we don't, if we're not aligned physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, it doesn't happen. And not many people are open spiritually, for example. you know, Religiously, maybe. Spiritually, spiritually, people have trouble with that.
1: Give us and an I example. Think, of what? Of, of spiritual what I mean? versus religious.
2: I don't want to get anybody hurt here. I might not be very politically correct. Religion, in its essence is spiritual. The problem is that then it becomes a building of do's and don'ts, of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And this is the ritual, and this is rigid, and it should be this way and not that way. And where is the heart of this? Who knows? You know, in Judaism, there's so many, I don't want to talk bad. <laughs> there's so many little things that don't make sense. But if you go and study it you find that in the beginning of time the original idea was an idea that is spiritual but it's lost people don't know why they're doing this anymore and they and it has no meaning if it has no meaning except being part of a people or doing what the church says that is not going to be healing that is not connected connected is. Opening my heart and opening my spiritual eye and being able to connect to what's right for me now in this moment. And that is spirit. And spirit speaks to us all the time. Not only to illuminated people. It speaks to you and to you and to me. It speaks to everybody somehow. Are we willing to open up and listen to that? Sometimes we don't like what it says. Sometimes we are not willing to hear that part of us.
1: Thank you, it's <laughs> Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Thank you for sharing that. I think that was good. Christina?
0: Mm, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree that it, it's, um, if if we can begin to listen within and and really connect, I, I totally agree with you, Shuli, on that. That it is a balance, and, and here on uh, YHTV and Yoga Hub for many years, it's about the balance of body, mind, and spirit. And mm-hmm. if one is off, there's no balance. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're absolutely right. And if we can break away from the some of the boundaries that we are brought up with culturally and societally and religiously, and believe and, and be good people, period. Yeah right? We We good, loving people with loving kindness uh, to ourselves and to others. It will emanate. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's it's so wonderful. I I think what you're, how you're guiding individuals is um, on their paths, and as you say, they're also individual, and your work is so powerful. Um, And again, you're dealing with, I I heard you say that the MS community doesn't want you to be part of it, at this point, but I do believe at some time you're going to have those individuals out there that is going to hear and see what you've done and say, I want to get a little bit of what she's doing. (laughs) It would be lovely. You know, and I think your book is going to help you to do that and reach those individuals that want to listen. They say in Hebrew, from your lips to heaven. Mm, (laughs) Yes, love that. Your lips
2: to the heavens.
1: Part of the good yeah. thing also, I think, Julie, is that from a Western science point of view, there's mm-hmm. an incredible amount of research going on about multiple sclerosis, um, mm-hmm. and the research on causes of it, whether it's from different geographical areas or genetics and ways to potentially prevent it or to prevent uh, more attacks from coming on. There's a lot of research in so many areas right now. New medications are in uh, big clinical trials Uh, So if something does come back for you or for others, uh, there's a lot going on out there that's important. And I think that within the process of Western medicine, always looking for the science and the genetics and everything, it's very important that Western medicine also takes the messages that you're giving to us, because sometimes the medication that we might give someone will work on someone who has the hope. Mm-hmm. And has the spirituality, and it may not work as well on someone who is defeatist and and surrendering and giving up. I I, I commend you That's on all the work you're doing, mm-hmm. and and give you hope that uh, if something does happen again, do you think of this every day? Not at all.
2: I mean, now that I'm doing the book and I need to market it, I think of the book marketing, <laughs> not about the thing. No, I don't think about it. I don't. I don't feel that I have MS anymore. For years, I haven't felt that I have MS. That's like cute. for years. I have cute. other things. I am not right. a very healthy person in other instances. But MS, I really don't think that I have it anymore.
1: And does that was also. That, go does, ahead. You just mentioned that you have other things. So uh, I would assume that the work that you're doing with the MS, you're doing some of that work with your other things too.
2: And I, I just think that, you know, maybe, maybe our passage through this life doesn't have to be about being in perfect health for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that this is, I came, mm, part of the work that I came to do in this lifetime has to do with illness. So, okay, so I don't have MS anymore, but I have twitches or migraines or something that is neurological. And it's like it's, it never goes away, you know. Some, something is going to – and then I'm going to be too old not to have things. So, you know, <laughs> or like in 10 minutes. So, you know, so it's, it's like if this is something, if dealing with – with trying to keep my body healthy as part of my life lesson, it's not going to go away completely. I'm going to keep on always, you know, It my attention is on that, too.
1: So we're coming close to the end of our show. And at the end, we always ask for a personal health tip. And I'm, I'm oh. really looking forward and fascinated by... By your history and your story and the disease that you have to live with and the other things and how you've come through it and how you're helping others, I'm really looking forward to hearing your health tip today.
2: (laughs) Okay. So, my book is full of tips. It's about tips. This is my favorite tip. And you probably – this is my lately favorite tip. Um, You probably saw because it was – populating the fe- Facebook for a while. There's a, this uh, documentary about this guy called Henry, Henry Story. It's called... Alive Inside, a story of music and memory of a guy that comes to a health um, senior's home where people are, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia and everybody's like completely disconnected already. And he gives everybody um, uh, earphones with, I don't know if it was an iPad or whatever it was, gadget, with the music of their youth. And they start listening to the music and from being completely disconnected and scrunched, they start waking up and singing and moving and completely waking up. It's incredible. So this happens for them with Alzheimer's and dementia. What would it do to me? So I started asking all of my clients and all of my patients, I want to have, you know, a playlist. Of the music of your youth that made you happy not like the things that i used to listen in my youth that made me completely depressed because that was the kind <laughs> of girl that i was you know it was about the, you know the boyfriend left me you know not that kind of music from your youth the one that one that makes you get up and dance that one the salsa the, that thing okay so you make a playlist you you know Put the earphones in your head, and at least for half an hour a day, you listen to music that made you happy and wakes you up. And then come to therapy with your music in your ears. I and like the that. mindset is totally different. You just face life with a different perspective. That's all. And I'm telling you, life looks and tastes and smells totally different. That's my
1: favorite. Beautiful. Julie, is there anything that in preparing for this show uh, and interview today that you wanted to really mention, but for some reason we didn't get to it?
2: I I am totally into our conversation, so I'm not thinking of anything. I can tell you guys, read my book. Yeah, I know what. My book is something that is a new fashion of books. This is my marketing, but it's really (laughs) worth it. It's really worth it. Stay with me. It's called interactive. <laughs> have you guys known about this interactive books before? because I didn't. It's awesome. You start reading and you and you have on your phone I give you instructions of how to download a little app that reads codes and so you you get to um, you're reading in the book the story da 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 and then you get to a place in which I say and now hear this video. In the video it's either me explaining a tip which can be, you know, any kind of the many tips that I have in there. Or somebody else, you know, like this Bruce Lipton talking about something and um, Lisa Rankin talking about placebo, all kinds of different experts, you know. And, and, so you, and also I have um, visualizations in audio. So you're reading and it says, now listen to this. So you you pl- your plug in your earphones and you listen to a visualization. And that is a lot of fun. I'm sure that you have haven't seen this kind of book out there, so I recommend it to you. Buy my book.
1: There you go. Get my my book. On that note. On that note, (laughs) I want to say thank you, and I'm very grateful to our special guest Shulamat Lando for sharing her wisdom and experience with us. A very Uh, impressive experience. I would like to thank all of my teachers and my healers for helping me on my journey. I look forward to getting together with Christina, Yoga Hub, Magical Medical Tour, and Segovia as we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, always searching for optimal health. So thank you very much, Shuli. We really appreciate all of the words. And until our next meeting, I wish you all optimal health.
0: Yes. Thank you, Shirley, for a magnificent sharing at this time. And I, I, we know that you've inspired so many through this show. And uh, yes, we and Dr. Woolman, Dr. Glenn Woolman, thank you for hosting such a great show. And of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwollman.com, where we encourage you to learn about his metaphor, Square Breath, or follow him on Facebook at The Medical Guide. Now, you can also connect with Shulamit Lando through her website, shulamitlando.com. And, of course, we do highly recommend her book, Hope Beyond Illness. And it is really exceptional This, um, this uh, with uh, the uh, codes that you can scan. And, and the beauty of this book, too, is with each chapter, there is a health tip, actually, <laughs> which is right up our alley, right? It's how to put everything into doing as opposed to just reading. So it's really a magnificent book. And uh, so we hope you have enjoyed this moment on YHTV and it has supported you or a loved one in some way. We invite you to take a moment and like us or subscribe to our channel. And uh, we are always, again, grateful for any feedback, comments. Please type them into the box uh, on the site or give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you. And until next time. Namaste.
1: Uh, Chronic pain, it turns out, has very little to do and very little correlation with uh, tissue damage. And it has more to do with uh, the brain mishandling the information. Either because of some genetic predisposition to pain, or some early life predisposition to pain, or uh, psychosocial issues, uh, it's the chronic pain is more associated with brain phenomenon than peripheral phenomenon. Now there are obviously exceptions, and that is. Uh,